Welcome, this is your host, Zaida Sorel Medina with The Voice Podcast. Welcome, everyone. It's Zaida. So if you've been listening to my podcast, you would know by now that they go in chronological order. In my previous episodes, I recount how I was kicked out from home for spending too much time in school when I was 14 years old. During my homeless adventures, I had to quickly learn how to fend for myself, seek out mentors, friends, and teachers who I could live with. In this story, I reflect on a conflict that I had with one of my foster mothers, which eventually led me to leaving the home. The larger takeaway for my listeners deals with how we as parents, caregivers, social workers, and educators can better support our teenagers. My cross-country coach invited the team to his wedding reception. Anissa said that I could go if, as long as I was back by 8 p.m., to babysit. I didn't know how I was going to get back, but I figured I could just get a ride with someone. I wore a black dress lined with hot pink ruffles, adorned with a black plastic flower, and off I went to my cross-country coach's wedding reception. At the party, my teammates and I ate lots of cake and danced all evening long. Because I did not have a ride back, I had to assess which one of my teammates could take me home. I was scared to ask my white classmates for a ride home. What would they think of me if they found out that I lived in a ghetto? Certainly, this would have been the first time they even drove through the ghetto. So I asked Tia and Teresa, the only two other black girls on the team. They were twins, and I felt comfortable asking them because we shared the same skin color. I tapped Teresa on her shoulder and asked, Do you mind taking me home? Sure, she said. Where do you live? Off of Natural Bridge. Natural Bridge? Hmm, where's that? It's about five miles from the school. I can show you how to get there. It's actually really close to this venue. Okay, sounds good, she said, and kept bantering with the teammates. But as the evening passed, I began to wonder when they would be ready. I had a curfew. I had to be home by 8 o'clock. But how could I tell them that I needed to be home at a certain time? After all, they were my ride home, but I didn't want to rush them. When I asked them when they planned on leaving, they said in about an hour. So I stood there and I waited 
and waited, even though an hour was 30 minutes past my curfew. When I arrived home 30 minutes late, Anissa was at the top of the stairs with her arms crossed. Where were you? She yelped. At the wedding? The twins from the team dropped me off. Didn't I tell you to be here at 8 o'clock? It's almost 9 o'clock. That's not my fault. I wasn't the one driving. I don't care. You should have told them that you had a curfew. I didn't know how I was going to tell my middle-class suburban friends that I had to leave early. They were already doing me a favor by dropping me off in the quote-unquote bad part of town. Anissa made a mad dash in the living room and grabbed her keys. What color is their car? I'm going to go hunt them down right now. Red, I said. And then she looked at me demonically and said, If those niggas I couldn't believe it. Anissa thought I was hanging out with boys. I rushed her uneasily as she slammed the door behind her. I wanted to catch up with my friend's car so that she could see that I was telling the truth. I sat on my bed with my pink and black ruffled dress and waited. She returned and stood in front of my bedroom doorway with her nose raised to a snare eyes glaring demonically down on me and hands on her hip. The next thing you know, she was asking me for my phone. Give me your cell phone, she said. What does my cell phone have to do with this? I asked her. Cuss, she yelped. I called you 50 times and you didn't answer. There was only one problem in this situation. Anissa didn't purchase my phone. Not to mention, she never assisted me with paying the bill. My brother, Andres, gave me that cell phone a while back. Occasionally, he loaded prepaid minutes to it. Therefore, it seemed unreasonable for her to take something away from me that she didn't give me. And so I said to her, No, I'm not giving you my phone. There was silence. If you don't give me your cell phone, you got to go. Anissa's words sounded all too familiar. Very familiar. Again, I had to make another life decision, to stay or to go. Okay, I'm leaving. I walked towards the door. Give me the house key. I ignored her and kept walking towards the door. Give me the house key, she barked louder. I tossed the key in her hand, slammed the door behind me, and I ran and I ran into the night.
The sky was black and the streets were empty. The prying wind passed through my hair and my dress. My heels clapped rhythmically against the cracked concrete pavement. I ran into the night like a refugee in exile, weeping, right when I thought that I had no place to go and no one to call. I thought about my brother Andres. He reminded me of the fierceness of a thunderous night. His bold attitude and demeanor demanded respect. I remember once when I was in middle school, he confronted a boy in school who was bullying me. The boy called me Gap Girl because I had a gap in between my front teeth. So one day when Andres and I were on our way home, I saw the bully trading gaily down the street. I pointed my finger out the car and said, there he goes, the boy in school who bullies me. Andres hopped out of the car, grabbed the boy by his collar and said, don't you mess with my sister, little boy. Then he pushed him to the ground, walked away and cracked up laughing. (laughs) The boy ran away. It was my brother's fierceness that kept me strong in that moment. I had no idea where I was going, but I kept running and running with fierceness. I have a few takeaways that I would like to share with my audience, but first I would like to thank you all for listening. This first takeaway is for my parents. I encourage you to trust your teenager. And I know that that is a very hard thing to do, but we should not be assuming. Unless your child did something in the past that legitimately leads you to believe that they are lying, then we should trust them. Give them the benefit of the doubt. Otherwise, what we're doing is we are projecting. We're blaming them, accusing them of doing something that they may not have done. Perhaps we would have done it when we were a teenager, and so therefore we're assuming that that's what they're doing. But that's not really a healthy way to develop a relationship with your child. And it can lead to negative outcomes for that child. And so I highly encourage parents that before we address a conflict that we are having with them, that we can put our assumptions aside. This next takeaway message is for my foster parents, adopted parents, or individuals who are caregivers caring for children who are not our biological children. Please don't take away anything that belongs to that child that is from their biological family. And the reason is because that item may have sentimental value to that child 
and that child is connected to their biological family through that item. And when we take away that item, we can think of it as we are taking away something that belongs to them that is from their biological family. And so the larger takeaway there is that we must be trauma-informed in our parental disciplinary strategies, taking away something that belongs to that child that is from their biological family is not a sound parental disciplinary strategy, and we should look for other ways that are trauma-informed to address conflict with our teens. This next takeaway is for social workers, educators, and the general audience. Become a mentor. Support a young person in your community today, however that looks. I used to manage a mentoring program for five years, and I witnessed at firsthand how the mentors in the program made a profound impact on the lives of that young person when it came to their well-being, their educational outcomes, social outcomes. I'm also a walking testimony of that. It was the mentors, the teachers, the caring adults in my life who helped to pave the way, provide me the resources that I need, the encouragement, the hope that I would overcome my adversity. No interaction is too small when it comes to providing support to a young person. It can be as small as a positive exchange all the way to, hey, you know, let me take you under my wing. So I highly encourage that if you're listening to this and you're not a mentor already, that you can become a mentor or a caring adult in a young person's life. This last message that I have is for my youth who are contemplating running away or who have already ran away. Stay strong. Running away is a very hard decision to make. I am an advocate of child safety, and sometimes that means running away. So whatever situation that you find yourself in, I highly encourage that you can ensure your safety One way you can do that is by reaching out to adults, caring adults, that will help guide you. It's really critical to have people in your life who care about you and who can help you through this adversity process because ultimately we can't always do it on our own. With that said, stay strong, reach out to caring adults who can help guide you in this adversity journey. And I hope and trust as I'm sending positive energy with my words that you will have better days to come. With that, I'd like to thank everyone for listening to my podcast. This is your host, Zayda Sorel Medina. You can tune in to The Voice Podcast by looking us up on Facebook, The Voice Podcast, where I will commit to posting frequently updates about the podcast. Thank you so much and until next time.